Welcome to Episode 5 of the RMD Podcast from Reverse Mortgage Daily. I'm Chris Clow, Editor of RMD. For this episode, we sat down for a conversation with Martin Andelman, Producing Branch Manager and Trainer at High Tech Lending, to discuss both his journey to reverse mortgage origination and his perspective on the multitude of applications the product has. In addition to serving as a trainer for high-tech lending's reverse mortgage personnel, Andelman has also spoken at reverse mortgage industry events concerning his perspective on the positioning of the reverse mortgage product, particularly in terms of how going after needs-based borrowers is an unsustainable path for industry success. Over the course of this conversation, we go deeper into the idea of finding leads that would employ reverse mortgage proceeds in more strategic ways, some tips for originators in engaging with trusted advisors in order to forge fruitful referral partnerships, and how an originator can speak the different proverbial languages of different trusted advisors like attorneys and financial planners. Hope you enjoy it. Martin, thank you so much for joining me today on the RMD podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Uh, first question, just for, for those who may not have absorbed your presentations, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Well, fun, fundamentally, I, I originate reverse mortgages. I mean, that's what I spend most of my days doing, but I think I go about it in a different way. So I started also training a number of other loan officers to... Uh, kind of follow this path. Mm -hmm. Great. And uh, you have a wealth of experience as a writer in a lot of different capacities, from what I understand. What was your first interaction with the reverse mortgage industry, and how did you come to realize that this could be a a career path for you? Well, okay, that's funny. You know, the way this all happened, you're right. I spent a career writing and, and being a strategist in areas like accounting, insurance, financial services, law, and healthcare. And I wrote extensively in all of those fields. Then one day I was having lunch with Joe Tompkinson. If you remember, Joe was the CEO at Impact. They had a reverse mortgage division. He asked me if I knew anything about reverse mortgages. And I started to reply. I think I said, uh, well, I've I've heard they're expensive. I heard some negative press. But then I realized that I really didn't know what I was talking about because I couldn't even remember where I heard any of that stuff. So I said, you know, never mind. I, I haven't. I don't really know anything about them. Do you have a division that does them? Do you want me to write about it or what? And that day I went home and started trying to research what is a reverse mortgage, what is a HECM, and it's a very difficult thing to learn about. I I found it that started an eight-month journey into researching everything I could possibly learn about reverse mortgages in the marketplace. I contacted, well, first of all, there are three types of sites on the Mm. Internet when it comes to this. If you try to learn from, it's a very difficult thing. The first type I called sales sites. And, you know, those are things like what AAG or anybody else. And they're all pretty much the same. I mean, they're, they have sort of the same FAQ, you know, does the bank own your house? No, you know, the same kind of things. The second type of sites are the government sites like FHA or HUD. And there's certainly a lot of information there, but it's just not an easy format to, uh, it's not easy to pull it out. And then the third types are media reports, and they're often wrong. I mean, they, they often have, like, material facts wrong. And I mm-hmm. found that whole thing kind of shocking. So I kept going back to Joe every week and asking him, what the hell is this and what the hell is that? And, you know, then I contacted lawyers around the country. Then I contacted CPAs around the country. Then I contacted loan officers, realtors. And I would just interview them all about what they know about a reverse mortgage. 
I even got a, a list of people that looked at a reverse mortgage and decided against it and kind of called them to find out what they were thinking. So through doing that, I literally fell in love with the product. And I ran into the kitchen one day and looked at my wife at the sink and said, honey, this is all I want to do for the rest of my life. I love this. This is, this is incredible. The perfect product. Yeah. When you say it's a perfect product, I was just going to ask you, well, expound on that a little bit for me. Well, I mean, if you think about it, first of all, it does exactly what it promises to do every single time. It's like a VA loan. I mean, it, it follows a set of rules. The rules are consistent and it delivers on what it's supposed to do every single time, right? I mean, nothing, very few things are like that. Sure. But this is, this follows a very, you know, a hard set of rules. And so you, it's predictable as to what it, what it does. The other thing I think a lot of people have never thought about, and sometimes people laugh when I say this in a seminar, but what if I had an Uncle Heckam, right? You've probably heard me say this at Nirma. What if I had an Uncle Heckam? And because I'm Jewish, you have to say it with the, the Heckam thing to it, the <laughs> Uncle Heckam. And Uncle Heckam has done very well in his life. And so, and I'm his favorite nephew, of course. So he calls me up and he says, Martin, in case you need to borrow, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for whatever purpose you want, I'll lend it to you and you don't have to make any pay. I'll lend it to you at a low interest rate, you know, 5% interest rate. And you don't have to make any payments if you don't want to. You can make payments whenever you want to. And you don't have to pay me back unless you die or sell the house. Other than that, low interest rate, it's tax-free. You can use it for whatever you want. Well, what, what could we use that money for? If we were sitting around in a, in a garage somewhere and I said, look, I've got an Uncle Heckam. He said I could borrow $200,000. I don't have to make any payments until this or that. What can we use it for? Well, we could use it for anything. I mean, could you use it to pay for college? Sure. Could you use it to buy a, a piece of real estate? Sure. Could you use it to fix up the house? Yes. Could you use it? To, I mean, you could use it for anything. And who among us would say, gee, I'm glad I don't have an Uncle Heckham? <laughs> who wouldn't want an Uncle Heckham? So yeah. why all of a sudden, it, when it becomes a reverse mortgage, oh, my God, now it's like, well, what, what's going to happen? Something's going to you know, there's something harmful here. There's nothing harmful about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I did see you speak a little bit about Uncle Heckham at your presentation at the Normal Western Regional Meeting. And I was really taken with the way that you offered advice to originators, particularly who have difficulty connecting with trusted advisors. And I was curious, I wanted to ask you directly, how did you learn that this in particular had become problematic enough that you needed to address it to a wider audience? Oh, boy. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> First of all, the reverse mortgage has, we, there is a problem. The problem is that it has been marketed or advertised as a product for people that have a recognized need for cash. You know, if you need money, if you're strapped for cash, if you're retired and need money, call the number on your screen. And so as a result, it is now an established fact that if you stand on a street corner tomorrow and ask everybody that walks by, what have people you what's a reverse mortgage for? They'll say, well, that's for people that don't have any money. It's for, it's like one step above food stamps. Mm -hmm. It is. The perception is that that's the only purpose for this product. Now, it's certainly one of the purposes of the product, but it's not the only purpose. But because people think it is, if you walk into, you know, anybody, you know, an office, a bankruptcy lawyer or a financial planner or a CPA of some kind, and 
you say, look, I want to talk to you about a reverse mortgage, you know, the financial advisor will might look at you and say, look, you know, I don't need to know about that. My clients all have some money in, you know, they, <laughs> they don't need those They're you know, they have money. Now, never mind the fact that they could use them in a number of different ways. They'll never learn that if they just, the, the assumption is it's for poor people. And mm-hmm. then the next assumption is that there's somehow something wrong with it or something, someone's taking advantage of someone. The media talks about it as a complex financial vehicle. It's so complex. It's, it really has been, it's not been a good job at educating the public on this. So I started originally, I never, I started doing what I did right from the beginning. I started calling attorneys, talking to them about it. I found that they knew nothing. You know, if I have a room of 10 lawyers, I, I could do a 10 a quiz. They would never pass it. And then I started calling financial advisors, never, <laughs> they just knew nothing. I mean, it's a unique opportunity. And the reason I'm so excited and I'm, why I joined the industry is that that's an incredible opportunity. I mean, you know, think about insurance for a minute, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons to buy insurance, right? It's, but what if the insurance industry only had one reason, the death benefit, and you'd land on this planet and go, you only use insurance for death benefit? Yeah, that's the only thing we use it for. What about for cash accumulate? No, we don't talk about that. What about tax? But no, 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 we don't. What about car insurance? No, we just, it's just death benefit. That's all we use it for. Well, that would be an enormous opportunity, right? Because you can use insurance in so many other ways. I feel like that about the reverse mortgage. Mm-hmm. Sure. It, it can be used in so many ways that no one's ever thought of before or, or used before. Yeah, I've seen it described in a few different places as sort of the Swiss army knife of financial products. Right. It's, I mean, think about what it really is fundamentally. It's a source of capital. It's available at a low interest rate. And by low, I mean not a personal loan kind of interest rate. It's tax-free and it doesn't have to be repaid on any certain schedule other than death or sale of a home. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is no, what other source of capital can you say that about? I mean, you know, when I was in graduate school, I did my MBA. They teach you about different sources of capital. There's angel financing and venture capital, and there's, you know, equity financing in the stock market and bond financing and debt financing. And, you know, no one ever said, oh, by the way, there's, there is one source of capital that's available tax-free at a low interest rate and doesn't have to be repaid on any certain schedule of the death or sale of the home. That's an incredible source of capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you you just alluded to it a little bit, but a big part of the presentation that I saw at Normal West, and I assume in other places, is that the industry has positioned the product as something designed to appeal to people at the end of their proverbial rope. And I remember one of the things that you said, part of the thesis, was that this just simply isn't sustainable for the industry at large. Could you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. The reality about the people at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, right? They are running out of money. They are, that's the needs-based borrower the industry's always talked about, the low-hanging fruit, all that stuff. As it becomes harder for people at the bottom to qualify, either by the principal limit changing or principal limit changing or anything else, it, it becomes harder. And we're, we're all, everybody fishing in that pond, you're just going to run out of people. It's sort of like looking for people whose house is on fire today, you know, there's going to be some fires over the years, but today there might not be that, you know, there's a limited number of them. And if people keep thinking that this is a loan of last resort, they do it, you know, once they run out of money, it's a terrible idea for a number of reasons. It, it's, it, that's why it's shrinking, right? The, the numbers are shrinking. 
the reality is that the only difference between the people in the needs-based audience that everybody's so familiar with, the only difference between them and people above there, say, say people that have between three or 400,000 and a million dollars in their 401k, or maybe it goes up to a million five or a million seven. They have money today. Does that mean that they're totally prepared for retirement, that they have no risks, that they're, that everything is perfect? No, but it does mean they don't have a recognized need for cash today. And if that's the only way we're going to appeal to people, then you're never going to talk to that audience. And the reality is that the difference between that audience and the one you're used to, the needs-based audience, the only real difference between the two is that the people with, say, some you know, significant cash reserves or whatever in their retirement account, have a, they all have a lawyer, a CPA, or a financial planner that they turn to for advice on this kind of issue. Everybody thinks the product is for very low-income people, people that have no cash assets. It's what everybody thinks. We've spent years teaching them that with all the ads, right? So what happens is every day all around us, picture there's a big pot, okay, like a big soup pot. And it's filled with, with homeowners that are 62 and older, and they're all trying to think about what they're going to be doing in retirement or how they're going to handle this or that or whatever. And every day all around us, one or two or three or 10 of them tries to get out of the pot. They, they lean out to the side and sitting on top of the pot are lawyers, financial planners, and CPAs. They call their lawyer, they call their financial planner, and they say, you know, should we think about a reverse mortgage? And then they say, no, you don't need that. And they go back in the pot. And that's it. it they never even look at it. And the people on top of that pot, the advisors on top of that pot, simply don't know. They're, they're, they're not doing a, they're not trying to do a bad thing. They simply don't know. They, they look at their client and they say, well, the client has a million dollars in their 401k. Why would they possibly need a reverse mortgage? Mm-hmm. It's inconceivable to people that they would, what, what would I use it for? Why would I need that? Well, I mean, I do, I originate reverse mortgages all the time, every month for people that have a million dollars in the 401k, a million and a half dollars in the 401k. And I would say up to a million eight. I don't think above that is a maybe different thing. But in order to do that, it's not about how the reverse mortgage works. It's about how it applies. You see the distinction? You know, every if you look at every single website out there, all the reverse mortgage industry's website, they all tell you how it works. Here's how it works. Here's how it works. Here's I've been out in the field with, you know, dozens and dozens of loan officers. They talk about how it works. And that's it's not about how what why would I care how it works if I don't see any application to my life? Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if you walked into a financial planner's office to present this, to present said, I'm here to talk about food stamps. Do you think they're paying attention? I mean, they're, the, the guys, the people in the room would be thinking, well, I don't have any clients that qualify for food stamps, so why am I listening to this? Sure. I mean, that's what happens all the time. The question is, what are the applications for the product? How can I use it? Not how, not what it, how it works. How can I use it? Why is this relevant to my client? Well, I wanted to play a little bit of a, a devil's advocate, and I don't necessarily believe this, but I think that your insight would be interesting. The economy and the way that it's performing would seem to indicate that the share of people of lesser means 
is growing in comparison to a share to the share of people with more means to their names and to their investments and accounts. Does that make people of lesser means necessarily a path to more sustainable activity on the part of the reverse mortgage industry, or does that not factor into it as much? The larger audience for this product is is the people that aren't there yet. Sure. By the way, you know, if we're honest about this, uh, we're all going there. There's almost no one, pre- quote, prepared for retirement anymore. I mean, almost no one. If you follow the rules for retirement, if you remember back, I mean, I know you're probably quite a bit older than you are, but if you remember back to the 80s when mm-hmm. these kind of rules were written, I mean, that's when all of this started where they said, look, you're supposed to save like 25% of your income and you're supposed to put it in the 401k and you're supposed to invest it in the stock market. And of course, the phrase diversify properly, whatever that ends up meaning, <laughs> and and stay in for the long term. Yeah, people say they're diversified. I'm like, what do you own, timber? You're not <laughs> diversified. It's impossible to diversify inside of a 401k. Okay, impossible, mm-hmm. can't be done. All the assets correlate. They go up together, they go down together. So the point is, you're supposed to put that in your 401k. You were supposed to pay off your mortgage, and then when you got to be 65, you started taking 4% out. They called it the 4% rule, and you're going to take 40 grand out a year, plus Social Security, plus any pension or anything else. That's when those rules were written. Do you, do you, do you know anybody that was able to follow them? I mean, anyone? I don't know anyone. No. There is not a soul. Nobody saved 25% of their income. Nobody contributed the max of their 401k and kept it in the market religiously and never took it out. Nobody did any of these things. By the way, when those rules were written back in the 80s, I don't remember paying $1,000 a month for like uh, cable television, internet, and cell phones. Sure. I mean, back then my phone was 16 bucks and TV was free, right? When those rules were written... College was like, <laughs> I mean, it's gone up 1,100% in the last 10 years. You know, when my daughter was born and we decided that we were going to save for college, at the time, the, college was the, the, the colleges in California that we were looking at were going to be like $7,000 a year. We said, okay, we're going to save enough to have 25000 a year. And you know how much it ended up being? 64000 a year. It, it is not... No one is prepared for retirement. If today retirement is measured in decades, not years, decades. Mm. So you would have to have, you know, you would have to have like eight million dollars in order to follow that four percent rule. A lot of people would need five, six, seven million dollars, and they have one, well, one point five. It, it is no, it is nowhere near enough. By the way, when is a million dollars not a million dollars? And the answer to that is when it's in your four hundred one k plan. Because the money in your 401k is taxable. So if you have a million dollars in your 401k and you feel kind of comfortable, you feel okay, you feel like you're not drowning, and then what happens? Well, the market goes down, and that's when you need money, and then you have to take that money out and pay the tax on it. And all of a sudden, that million dollars is a lot closer to 600 grand. Sure. I mean, if you need to pay for – think about long-term care. The only way to make long-term care worse – or scarier than it already is, is to realize that if you have to pay for it out of a qualified plan account, like a 401k or an IRA, you effectively just doubled the cost of long-term care. Mm. 
So somebody living in a, in a million dollar house with a million dollars in the bank that's, that's retiring and is going to attempt to go 30 years without income. I mean, it's the most unstable thing in the world. I mean, I just, nobody is prepared for retirement. Mm-hmm. They sure. might make it through, they might make it through, but there's an element of luck involved. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, I've learned, oh, I've learned in my years now, I've just learned that if nothing bad has happened to you, well, great. But if you live long enough, it, it will. Right. Yeah. Time is a predator. I heard someone say once and uh, seemed uh-huh. like an apt description to me. Look, I, you know, my father taught me a lot of things. One thing he never taught me was that it gets a lot harder as you get older. I didn't know that. I thought it got easier as you got older for some reason. I, now I realize I was an idiot for thinking that, but I mean, now I see it's like, oh no, it gets much more difficult as sure. time goes on, not easier. Yeah, absolutely. And people in retirement know that. Mm-hmm. And you can't retire with a mortgage. If you show me somebody with a mortgage, I'll show you somebody who's still working somewhere. Mm-hmm. Someone's still working. You just can't retire with a mortgage. And by the way, it's also worth mentioning, you know, 30-year mortgages, I promise you, no one ever sat around and talked about 30-year mortgages and said, you know what, these will be perfect for 70 and 80-year-olds. That never happened. 30-year mortgages were never supposed to be for 70 and 80-year-olds. And now I, we all, I bump into people all the time, 72, just refinanced two years ago, and now has only 28 years to go. What could go wrong? Ugh. Yeah, that does not sound like an ideal scenario by any stretch of the imagination. But, well, yeah, and I think that point is really well taken. In terms of appealing to trusted advisors, I mean, I spend an inordinate amount of my time talking to loan officers from different parts of the country. And I've spoken to some who are almost militantly opposed to the idea of enlisting trusted advisors like CPAs, financial planners, and attorneys. Do you encounter that type of resistance when you give your presentations, and is there a way to potentially overcome it? I mean, are you saying resistance by loan officers? Yes. There are loan officers out there that don't think that you should get business through trusted advisors? They believe, in some of the ones that I've spoken to, they believe that the best segment to try and continue business is a pool of needs-based borrowers and connecting with them through advertising means like radio and television that they pay attention to. Oh, well, okay. I mean, look, if, if that's working for somebody, then I would imagine I want to keep doing whatever is working. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would never tell anybody how to do their business. It's, if, you know, there are different models, I guess. I know there's a lot that are sort of a, some kind of call center kind of thing. And you're, I don't know, buying leads, targeting. I mean, I, I can tell you this, you know, when, as a loan officer, when you develop a relationship, let's say with a, uh, an attorney or with a financial advisor, the relationship continues to be productive year after year. So if in year one, you know, I, I have a financial advisor in mind and, you know, the first year I, I worked with him and met him, I think we did about four, four techums. And then, you know, but next year it adds up, right? So if you do that for four or five years, then you kind of build a base of business that never, that doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, I mean, inst- you know, my, my marketing costs are almost, you know, there really aren't. I mean, I don't, 
you know, <laughs> I think it's a much better way, but I, I don't, I listen, I, I don't want to say it like that. If you have a successful marketing machine and you're generating leads and you're talking to people on the phone and that, you know, I, it's not how I would do it, but if it's working, I think it's great. I mean, if that's as long as you, it's going well, but I don't know. I think this product is a more sophisticated product. I think there's a lot of new applications for it. I think people, you know, I, but you know, I, I don't compete in that space, so I don't mind. Sure. No, that's totally understandable. What is the reaction like to your in-person presentations? Do people seem relieved by maybe learning something that they that had just never occurred to them before as exploration of a potential business avenue? Well, you're talking about presentations to trusted advisors or loan officers? Loan officers in particular. Oh, I, well, I'll tell you, I was kind of proud. I, I you know, I, <laughs> I do this uh, seminar and it's an all day, it, it's an eight hour thing. And We've now trained a couple of hundred people and all of them on a scale of one to five, five being the best and so forth. I, I got almost all fives. One one person had some fours in there, but otherwise I think everyone has been very uh, complimentary about that. It's a, it is not, it is unlike anything else they've uh, been to in the industry. You know, I, I didn't come from the mortgage industry, so I hadn't seen all the other kind of training that was out there in the mortgage industry. So mine is really a very, targeted message. I mean, if you're going to work with borrowers that have, say, you know, half a million dollars to a million and a half dollars, if you're, if you're going to get that more affluent audience, you have to learn to be a trusted advisor to trusted advisors. And so then I show people, trusted advisors are all different. If you walk into the office of a bankruptcy attorney, you better have a different presentation than if you walk into the office of a financial planner and the same thing is true about CPAs and, and all the different types of lawyers. I mean, you know, I saw, I think I saw it on Arm Daily the other day. You had a thing about divorce. Yes. Using the HECM or using reverse word in divorce. I thought that was funny because I, I brought that up to Barry Sachs like, I don't know, it's got to be four years ago. And <laughs> I, I, I showed him how, I showed him, I said, look, you've got two people, they get divorced. One of them wants to keep the house and the other one doesn't. And it, the one who wants to keep the house is always the one that, can't refinance it because it's usually the wife and she hasn't been working as much and so far income isn't the same and whatever. So insert the reverse mortgage and you turn a lose-lose scenario into a win-win scenario. And Barry was very excited and said, you know, we should talk about this at conferences and things. This is, you know, what we're talking, that's a new application. That's all. That's what that is. You know, there's a book out there called Crossing the Chasm. And it came out in the early 2000s, I think. It's about the technology industry. And it talks about how they got computers to, to get on everyone's desk. You know, back in the late 80s and early 90s, not everybody had a computer on their desk or wanted one. In fact, it was kind of a badge of honor for a while, if you were an executive, to say, no, I don't have a computer on my desk. I have a secretary. So then, you know, how did they get everybody to want a computer? And the answer was found in what they called the killer app killer application, email, you've got mail. And email is what kind of helped them cross the chasm to go from the, you know, early adopters over to the, the bigger part of the market. When you walk into an attorney's office or a financial planner's office, you better, what you say in the first two minutes is going to dictate whether they're paying attention to this at all. Because sure. if they're thinking, as you start talking and you recognize that what they're thinking is, this is for poor people. We don't have any poor people. This is, you know, this doesn't apply to my clients. 
well, then they're not going to be paying attention to anything. So you need to learn what to say in the first two minutes that's going to get everybody paying attention. Yeah. And that's, that's what we do. I mean, that's, you know, we, every word counts. Absolutely. Well, and that's, that is something that I wanted to ask you about specifically because I remember you talking about the different languages uh, that different types of trusted advisors speak. And uh, the last guest that we had on our podcast is actually a real estate attorney, and he gave some tips for loan officers to connect with legal professionals as, as trusted advisors. And he said that lawyers typically need to be talked to in a more infor- informational capacity, but once you have them, they will be yeah. loyal referral partners. What are some of the other languages that other trusted financial or trusted advisors rather speak? Well, okay. So different types of lawyers, let's just talk lawyers for a second, right? Mm-hmm. We all understand there's different types, right? There's a divorce lawyer, an estate planning lawyer, a, you know, all, all different types of attorneys. And so each one has would have different applications, right, for the product. But when you switch over, they also have, you know, lawyers are all one thing. Even Every single type of lawyer, if you reduce it down, they are all problem solvers because nobody goes to a lawyer if they don't have a problem. I mean, you know, nobody gets up in the morning and goes, everything's fine, but I think I'll see a lawyer later for no reason. So <laughs> they all have a problem. And they are, so therefore, fundamentally, they are problem solvers. And when you pre- you're presenting the HECM, what you're showing is the HECM is a tool that solves certain problems. It solves them uniquely in, in a way that nothing else would offer that same type of solution because of the unique nature of the loan. So lawyers need to be talked to, and it's a problem solving, and it's a tool that solves problems. Now, financial planners, and this is really important, I want the whole country to hear this, you have to recognize that Financial advisors are far more concerned about the risk of loss than they are excited about the prospect of gain. Mm. They are far more concerned about the risk of loss than they are excited about the prospect of gain. So when you're talking with a financial advisor about about a reverse mortgage or what they, he or she needs to know, you don't emphasize how this is going to help them that you know, this is the financial advisor. You're not going to emphasize, you know, look, and then you'll be able to manage more money for your client. You know, that's not what is going to motivate them. In fact, it sounds scary. I mean, that's what I've seen. That's what I've seen everybody do every time. Every loan officer I've been out in the field with for the first time, every single time. So then you're wondering why that doesn't work. Right. I mean, that's really what you're saying. So financial planners, you know, if the way they are paid, the way their whole life is oriented, they just don't, I mean, if they lose a client, it, it could take, it could take two years to replace a, you know, $2 million client or whatever. You know, they are far more concerned about the risk of loss than they are excited about the prospect of gain. Now, if to contrast that with say CPAs, CPAs are always interested in creative answers. I mean, you know, you go to a CPA and he's like, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a church and then we're going to donate to the church. And then we're going to, I mean, CPAs always have, you know, we're going to incorporate and we're going to do this and we're going to take advantage of the tax code. So when you're presenting a reverse mortgage to a CPA, you can be more creative in, in the applications that you show. So, you have to know who you're talking to. And it's not just like all lawyers. I mean, I, I you know, all lawyers are problem solvers. That's mm-hmm. what they, they all are. Sure. So you have to tailor the use of the tool to solve the problem. 
bankruptcy lawyers are an audience that everybody overlooks. I mean, people that come out of Chapter 13 or have been in Chapter 13 for two years, you know, qualify and they have home equity because that's why they filed Chapter 13 to begin with. And yet the industry just sort of some, I don't know, it just it, it ignores that. Ignores this. And I'm surprised to learn that. I mean, I, I'm surprised to learn that there are people that don't think that that it. To me, this seems like water is wet, the sky is blue. I mean, <laughs> there is no question about it. If you want to, set the, the biggest, most people that retire. Well, and by the way, this is another thing about national averages. Okay, I mean, I'm in California, right? Or if I'm in Arizona, it's a big difference between here and somewhere else, right? I mean, so. You know, I would tell you that the biggest audience is the one that's above, just above the needs-based borrower. They are by no means comfortable and prepared for retirement, but they do have a million dollars in the bank. Mm -hmm. And that means that they've got a trusted advisor they're going to turn to for advice. Now, you know, I was recently doing a training class where, and I'll tell everybody listening, you know, if you want. Picture this. I did. I did started. I did this a couple of weeks ago to test it. I talked to three financial advisors in a row, and the only thing I told them was I wanted to talk to them about a downsizing tool, maybe the most powerful downsizing tool available. And it was very simple, right? You sell the house for eight hundred thousand. Only instead of paying cash for the next house, you use three hundred thousand to buy a six hundred thousand dollar house. Don't have to make payments if you don't want to. Can make payments whenever you want to. It's just a better way to go. And that's all I did was say, you know, it's called Heckham for Purchase. It, this is what it is. That was it. I didn't tell them about any other way to use it. And do you know that starting, that was about three weeks ago. And I've gotten three referrals from those financial advisors already. Now, in the spirit of full disclosure, you know, one of them's in Idaho and, you know, I'm not in Idaho. So I had to, Luckily, I could call Don Graves, my friend in Philadelphia, and he was able to do it. But, you know, one, one, one's an organ. I mean, they're, they're not all in my backyard, right? Sure. But my point, my point isn't that. My point is that what I did there was I talked to a financial advisor for 10 minutes, and I only I, I drilled one point home. The happen for purchase, I, I said, look, do you have people that call you about downsizing every month? Yeah. Somebody, at least one a month, will call and say, we're thinking about downsizing. Well, let me show you this tool. And... That's all they know. And if that's all they remember, then when somebody calls and so we're talking about downsizing, then they go, I, I should think you should call Martin about this. Great. Now, I'm not saying that that's the only thing that the heck of it is for. They're, like Computers do a lot more than email, but a lot of people bought them because they wanted their email. Sure. Right. right? Well, if I can get somebody to, if I can get a financial advisor to just to remember every time someone says downsizing, think of the heck of for purchase that'll get us there. You know, there, if we could all do that, you know, it would start to change, right? It, it yeah. would get written up in the paper as being a downsizing tool. It would, you know, we could change this, but uh, if we don't, then it's just, it's already, it's the car for, it's the, it's remember Cadillac Cadillac used to be like the premier car in the United States. It was the status symbol in the sixties and seventies. And then Cadillac became the car for old people. Right. For a long time there, you know, it was the car for old people. And then they tried to reinvent themselves and they came out with the Escalade and, you know, the other models and so forth. But, you know, for a long time, it was the car for old people. I mean, 
it, that's kind of what's happened here. The industry has allowed the product to become positioned as a product for poor people. Right. And yet I'm doing a loan right now where the total assets are a million seven and another where the total assets are a million four. And I you know, do that all the time. And it's not that these people aren't rich. They're just not, they don't have a dire need for cash. That's all. Mm -hmm. I don't think the industry's thinking about this right. Like, you're thinking about dire need for cash. That means you have to find people that don't have any money but have a lot of equity in the house, and you got to get them right at the right moment. It uh, just seems kind of seems like there's a better way. Sure. Yeah, that's very understandable, uh, and I, I totally understand about how leads from different places can come in. In fact, at your normal Western presentation, you mentioned two places that had a personal connection to me. You mentioned Blaine, Washington, which I didn't expect going into that. And I had a big laugh out of that because I grew up less than 10 miles from there. And then Bakersfield, oh where I was born. And I thought that that was just kind of a, a funny coincidence. But it just it, I think that just goes to show that you can get information and potential leads from uh, from a bunch of different places if your message resonates. Yeah, I'll tell you, I've never, I, I say this all the time, but I don't think I've ever had an unproductive meeting. I mean, I, I can't think of one. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever had a meeting with a lawyer, a CPA or a financial planner that, that was, un, I would call unproductive, you know? Sure. I mean, but then I hear some, you know, some people that they, they literally will, <laughs> they'll say to me, you know, Martin, I, you know, I went out on an appointment with, you know, I went and met with a bankruptcy lawyer and, you know, I didn't get anything. So, you know, that doesn't work. I mean, that's just silly. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's silly. I mean, it's professional sales. I mean, you're networking and, and you're adding value. You're making, you're helping them. I mean, it's, 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 that's how, how do you think insurance brokers and everybody else gets business? Right. They don't yeah. telemarket. They, they don't, you know, run internet. You know, they get business by networking with other professionals. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's yeah, how that, that's always been done. Very well said. Well, um, I think that's pretty much all I've got for you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us here on the RMD podcast. We really appreciate it. Where can people find you and the things you have to say online? And do you also have uh, like a webinar version of the presentation that you offer? Yeah, I do. I mean, I have webinar slides. I, I did a I just did a presentation for a bunch of lawyers too on, on a webinar that I can post. I'll tell you what, I mean, my website is, is, um, ML implode. I mean, everybody out there probably knows it. ML hyphen implode.com, the implodometer. And you'll see up a, there's a box in the top left corner with my picture that says Mandelman matters. But I, you know, I am going to, I am about to launch a new, uh, new podcast and, and blog that is going to be really dedicated like, to surviving retirement, which is something mm. nobody can do. So oh. I'm kind of excited about that. But um, I'm also I'm I'm at High Tech Lending. You know, I I have a I'm in a branch at, at High Tech that that operates this way. We have uh, you know we we have a different way of of uh, approaching the market. Absolutely. Well, Martin, again, thank you so much for, for being a part of this. And I'm sure that people will be very interested to see more of what you have to say in a podcast format. That sounds really exciting. But thank you again. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks for listening to episode five of the RMD podcast. Again, a very special thanks to Martin Andelman at High Tech Lending for being so generous with his time. 
For more news and insights on the reverse mortgage industry, be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at reversemortgagedaily.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the RMD podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast content. I'm Chris Clow, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network in Chicago, Illinois. See you next time.